Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Decomplicating Dressage podcast. For those of you that are new here, my name is Jess Gale and this podcast is all about making dressage make sense. I hope you enjoy. I have been wanting to do an episode like this basically since I started this podcast. I've always had a kind of idea to invite different trainers, different riders, different coaches onto the podcast and hear the different ways, the different approaches, the different philosophies that different people use to train their horses in dressage. Now, over the years, I've realised that there are so many different ways of achieving the same outcome. Some ways work really well for some horses, but not others. And similarly, there are ways that really suit some people and not others. So, This whole series is going to be about starting to bring different professional riders, coaches, trainers, judges onto the podcast to talk about how they train their horses, what's important to them and how they do things. Now, for the first one, I have enlisted the help of one of my really good friends, Annie Rawlins. Now, for those of you that don't know Annie, she is an Irish Grand Prix dressage rider and Annie and I have been friends for years and all the way through our friendship we've always had a really easy communication back and forth about how we train our horses we're both really open about our strengths and our weaknesses and what we need to work on and we're always trying to push each other to keep exploring and keep developing as riders and trainers ourselves and I hope that this is the kind of overarching theme that you will start to feel as you listen to these episodes Now, Annie also runs Clockwork Dressage, which is a sales yard specialising in top quality dressage horses. So we do spend a bit of time talking about that and how that influences how she trains her horses too. And also a little bit about how she differs her approach, depending on whether it's a sales horse or her own competition horse. But still always keeping that overarching theme that you'll hear as we go through the episode of treating each horse as an individual and working with them, not trying to force them into being something they're not, but working with them to make them the best horse that they can be. Now, I really hope that you enjoy this first episode. There are so many wise words here and little snippets of really awesome information that I think that we can all take on board. But I also hope that it helps you to realise there's not one road to training a dressage horse, There's lots of different approaches and I hope you can take a few things from Annie's approach that can help you with your horses too. Enjoy. Hi Annie and welcome to the podcast. Did you want to start by just kind of giving everyone a bit of a whistle-stop tour through your journey, how you started, where you're at now and kind of everything in between? Hi, thank you so much for having me and I'm really excited to have been asked. So 
very, very fortunate. Both my parents are horsey. Um, my mum worked in a quite high level job in the city when I was growing up, but on the weekend she'd take us to pony club or things like that. So she was always around horses. And my dad has always competed and trained in, well, since he was 18 years old, he was it. He went to Canada, he went to Germany. Um, so that it was sort of, it's sort of in my blood. Um, my aunt and uncle run a big sales yard and she's competed to Grand Prix out in Holland. So yeah, there was kind of, I was always going to have something to do with horses. I attempted ponies, kind of. My pony used to bolt with me the whole time and I was a wimp. I was absolutely terrified. I remember having a lesson with Kirsty Mepham in our school at home and he bolted out of school and you could hear me still screaming at the top of the at the top of the pathway, like back at the stables. And then I was very lucky. One of my dad's owners, Pauline ha at the time, Pauline Harris, she had an older venter, Freddie. And she said, oh, you can ride him a little bit. Ended up riding him, competing him. He was the first horse I sort of taught changes to. And, and he really got my confidence back massively and he was he had his own weird quirks but he was amazing and from there I ended up riding not well I might add um a couple of horses um one of my again one of my dad's owner's horses I did a little bit of juniors on him I mean the majority of my scores at juniors were below 60 percent I was by no means a good rider I loved it and I was obsessed. If I wanted to go to a competition with my dad, I could go, but I had to groom. So I was like up at ridiculous o'clock and then doing his Grand Prix horse in the evening. And back when the show, when they competed at Addington at like 11 o'clock at night. But by no means was I a good rider at all. Um, and I just, it just carried on from there really. And then when I was 17, I moved out to work for my aunt and uncle in Holland at their, ba their base and I was meant to well I was meant to go for two weeks and I stayed for five years nearly um and I just that was my university I just learned a little bit you would hope <laughs> how everything worked um how to make a living out of horses and just a different side to it because my dad's yard had always been competition and training focused so the sales side of it was good and the young horses and things like that so and then from there I never lost my love for competing I always wanted to but I just wasn't didn't quite have a horse here or there and I was very lucky with all the opportunities I was given by my mum and dad at a young age and then came decided to come home and set up shop for myself really I definitely had a bit of a wobble of what the hell am I going to do with my life I'm am I I'm not good enough I'm not this I'm not that came home bought a couple of horses with me and started selling them and then it just snowballed from there really um and now I am still set up here in England and I buy and sell horses bring them on for people move them on sell them and I compete and train. So, yeah, I'm very, very lucky to turn my hobby into what I what I do. And I rode my first Grand Prix this year, well, last year. So, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. So how much then, because in terms of your training, like you hear of a lot of riders going to Holland and it was quite a kind of fashionable thing, I think, when we were growing up for riders to go out to Holland and base themselves with riders and things like that. Do you Absolutely. think that in terms of how you train now, do you think quite a lot of how you train horses is influenced from the way the Dutch do it or more British or a bit of kind of a mix of both? I would say at first, yes, when I first came back, because, you know, what it was like in, in our time when we were slightly younger, the Dutch could do no wrong in the sense of medals and that kind of thing. And, you know, I was very very lucky to be exposed to a lot of different training techniques um with a lot of different people i think at craig and kb's 
my aunt and uncles, it was very much more work out what works for the horse. It wasn't, you know, KB has a system, but it wasn't like the typical Dutch system. It was very much, you have all different shapes and sizes come in, work it out. And I think the main thing I took away that I still have in my training now is every single horse has a job. Whether it is cantering around a field and doing a walk trot test with someone and being their absolute, the reason that they smile, their, their excitement, their, you know, thing to look forward to on the weekends, or if it's going down the centre line at the Olympic Games, there are so many different jobs for horses in between that. And that is, I think, what I actually took away from there most of all, and I still have today, is in my training, yes, but this is going to be, okay, maybe this isn't the horse I would buy for myself, but train it to the best of your ability. You'll still learn something and someone's going to have a really nice time, obviously, you know, if they're nice horses. Um, So I would say I have opened my eyes more so the last three years to the British way of doing things, or even I say the British way of doing things. I train with Kira Kirkland. She, she's not British, um, but much more towards you know like a Gareth or that the swing, the lightness, that type of thing that all of us are aiming for. Um, but I think the way I train now is much more. I looked to other riders for inspiration, but I learned a long time ago, well, not that lot long enough ago, stop trying to ride like someone else. Take how, you know, watch riders and think, oh, that's how I'd really like to look, or I really like this. That's really got a lot of swing, but it hasn't quite got the, the activity and the impulsion I'd like. Um, or, God, that looks so powerful but it looks powerful and it looks hard to ride I don't want my horses to look you know things like that I think but my the biggest biggest thing I've taken and it's not even about you know tricks on how to ride them or anything like that is my mentality of giving different horses different chance and you don't like every single or don't click with every single person you meet that's going to be the same with horses. And that's what I say to people when they come and try horses. But as a rider, it's learning different skills to work out what each horse needs. That's the first bit before you get them into your system. You have to work out how to get them there, that they're ready for it. Not every horse is ready for what you may want tomorrow. Or, you know, some of them may just very well need to spend a month doing truck hands transitions. It's to not be in such a hurry is maybe what I've learned and and take on what how other people do things, but don't try and turn yourself into them because they're them, you're you. And just because you don't do exactly do it exactly how they do it doesn't mean you're wrong. I think someone I can't remember who it was for the life of me, but someone once said to me, if you spend your whole life trying to be someone else, you're never gonna be able to be better at being them than they are. But yeah. equally, there's no one in the world who's better at being you than you are. And so I think that's what we've learned quite a lot from our discussions is that actually we Massively. both have very different strengths in terms of how we ride and how we train, but actually that can work really well. And we all have different strengths and weaknesses. And I think, like you said with the horses, it's looking at the horse and basing it on them rather than necessarily trying to fit them into your idea of what makes a perfect horse which is very different to someone else's and and as well definitely and this maybe comes from the sales side of making it so everyone can get on and walk trot canter and feel comfortable because I want to feel comfortable on a horse I want to feel like I can you know tell a bit what they're going to do or what they but there's that sort of connection between you and the horse in the sense of that or that relationship and that conversation and I would definitely say you and I have talked about it before I don't know if you fully agree but you're very much more you are so disciplined on the basics and the first 
stages. And I say that's something I have to force, you know, I am very much in it, but I'm also like, okay, but now it's got to happen. You know, not, you know, I don't skip those stages at all, but you would probably give a horse even more time maybe in some situations, but also I 100% have my things that I say to people straight away of when they come for a lesson or I'm like, right, okay, let's try this, this, and this first of just the very basics, walk, trot, canter. Um, everyone who comes for a lesson with me is like, oh, if she tells me to put my hands wide one more time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have, all of us have our go-tos that seem to work quite well. And I think that is something you learn over the years of take advice from other people, but you have to find what makes you comfortable and pe- what you have to believe in what you're saying when you're helping someone. And, and like you said, I think everyone, especially on our sport, everyone has a slightly different way of getting to the same outcome. And I think something that I don't know if you find the same with the people that you teach. I think a lot of the people that I teach struggle to realize that actually there are some things that other trainers might say that might still work for other horses, but just doesn't work for their horse at mm-hmm. that time in that moment. And that doesn't mean that that trainer's wrong. It, no. it doesn't work for them right now. And it's okay for you to take the things that work really well and work for you now. And actually put away sometimes the things that don't work well. And just because you respect that trainer or you love the way that person rides doesn't mean that what they say is always going to work for you or how they ride is always going to work for your horse and so on. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's the same as if you take it back to school, you have some teachers you get on with really well and some teachers you just don't get a clue what they're saying and other people might. It's, it's so much in the delivery. I mean, I have um, a junior rider based with me now. And I really encourage her to have a lesson with my dad or she goes for a lesson with Leanne. And because I say to her, we're all saying the same thing in slightly different ways. So unless, and I quite, I find it quite interesting as a trainer to then be like, oh, am I way off because this so-and-so is saying this, but it, something will suddenly drop with her and it'll be exactly the outcome I want, but someone else has worked out how to say it a different way or I've worked out how to say something that someone else means. And I think that is a huge thing to remember that I used to get quite frustrated when I was teaching people, but that wasn't them. And it wasn't my lack of, well, probably was a bit my lack of knowledge. It was, I wasn't capable at the time of explaining things to them in different ways I had this one way of explaining it and if they didn't get it I'd just say it more but that I have learned over the years is not it's not always what you're saying it's how you're saying it I think that takes quite a lot of humility in a way especially as young trainers but I think it was quite a thing I know when I was growing up for trainers to assume that you were only ever going to train with them and if they went off with someone else, that it was almost seen as like not loyal to And I think yeah, it's really yeah. important that actually people do go and try different trainers. Because like you said, people, we all kind of sit, we're all aiming for the same thing, but people might word it in different ways. People might have different experiences. They might have had a really similar horse or loads of different things. It doesn't mean that one person's a better trainer than another. It just means that actually everyone's got different experiences and different strengths and weaknesses, like we've been saying. But in terms of kind of day to day, you've obviously got a yard full of horses all at different levels. Do you, in terms of the training routines, do you keep everything quite similar for each horse or do you adapt it for kind of the level they're at, their age? What do they do? Depend on their age, their level of training, um, what their particular strengths or weaknesses are. Um so to be honest, my biggest tool that I absolutely love is a lunge line. I just think you can do so much double lunging, long reining, lunging them before you get on. I have never been the bravest rider in the world until I know a horse. And even then, 
um but I just think give the horses a chance and I find it quite interesting with the young ones especially you know taking them out giving them a lunge yeah they can have a bit of a buck but then work them a tiny bit on the lunge before you get on so you can see okay sometimes you step back and you think okay this one needs a little bit of more muscle here this one finds this hard or you know it gives them a chance and you a chance to go without a rider on top and then you see a little bit naturally what they find easier harder so my young ones all of my horses in the yard they will do sort of four four or five days work um riding um and then one or two days lunging or they'll have a day off and then they'll have just a lunge day in between uh some of them will have less so like the real young ones they'll work they'll be ridden four times a week sometimes three it all depends on how they're they're going what they need um some of them are lunged before i get on um when i know them better or you know it's not what they need then then that won't happen um i find it quite interesting the ones that are quite stressed you know you'll have some that hold their breath it's amazing what a little five minutes on the lunge or just 10 minutes on top just walk trot walk trot it's almost being passive will suddenly they'll breathe and you have a completely different horse under you so it's very very much each horse has their own program it's all within the same you know I want all my young horses I want them to simple things I want to put my leg on and they go They've all got to be thinking forwards, um, leg to hand, very much. You know, I want I want to feel a contact in both reins. Um, I want them to be able to go large around the school and it not be a drama. I want to be able to ride off the track in a straight line. Again, this is not the ones that have just been back. You're just like happy to get around school <laughs> and you feel like a cowboy. Um, but, you know, as the four or five-year-olds, you want them to be able to walk truck canter off of the track as well and that their canter transitions are you know an upward transition it's not kicking them into canter it's not that's one thing I find a lot with people they panic almost going into canter and they just think it's speed no push them a bit off your inside leg canter it's things like that are really important to me um and especially if you have one you know, in the canter transition, I want the young ones, I really want to feel the hind leg jump under me. I don't want it to be too stuffy. Um, and for me, I just think most of the time you're safe as long as they think forwards. Of course, it's tricky when you've got a bolter or things like that. But luckily, I haven't had to have too many in the last year or so that have been like that. Um, and a bolter, I am not your girl. <laughs> I'm definitely not your girl and it's that's the thing as well I think you realize that there are different riders for different jobs everyone has their strengths and I have absolutely no problem being like you can do this better than me you know I want to do it to the best of my ability but if I know someone who can do a way better job than me then that's what the horse gets um and then my older horses so they they still have a lunge every now and again, like not before I get on them so much, except for one of them. And I think we both know which one that is. <laughs> um, so on a Monday, if they've not lunged, then I ride them um, and tend to do a lot more of a suppleness day. So getting them a little bit more reactive, making sure that they're moving off my leg. Um, though today I also got in trouble because... Andrew was like what are you doing and I thought I was doing a leg yield and he said well you're not really so maybe we should start doing that so that's what's amazing having different riders around you being like oh he's like yeah you're going sideways but that's about it <laughs> um and you know make sure you can get your leg on that you're feeling um, you're feeling a bit okay this is their weaker side this is their and once you get to know them you know a little bit the program each horse needs you know they're absolutely at their best when they've had this workout the day before and and that's all part of having your competition horses and getting to know them you know I have some horses that they better to go out in the morning be ridden in the afternoon or 
some of them just go and have a lunge on the head collar in the afternoon if they've worked hard in the morning you know it's just getting to know them um and I just want to get that feel that I can put their body a little bit where I want it and then I don't push it I'm you know, if, if if they need riding for 45 minutes to an hour, they'll get it. But not every single day. It still has to be fun. Uh, some of the days they'll go hacking. Um, we've got a track around the farm. So really, really lucky with that. And I do try and introduce um, sort of cavaletti work and things like that. My downfall is I get so into the training that I forget to do the other bits that are also just as important. Um, a good friend of mine. Charlie, she has actually, with my small tall horse, done quite a bit of sort of pole work and grid work and uh, and things like that. Um, and also with me, which has always been quite entertaining because she's like, how can you miss a trotting pole? Well, apparently you can. It's quite easy. Yeah, it's apparently it is very, very easy. Um, so it's that is what I would say my downfall is is remembering to bring that variety in because sometimes for their head the young ones have it easier because you know they don't need me more than three times a week properly working them they don't need that um and I do think part of being a dressage rider is that you get a bit obsessive a bit perfectionist about oh I want to get this no I just want to get that Sometimes the absolute best thing you can do is let your horse go over some trotting poles or go for a hack and then try again the next day. Um, and I think that is a huge thing. Um, and I'm just a massive advocate for letting the horses, giving the horses the best opportunity to be their best. Um, and again, I probably don't do that as near as much as I should do, but there's nothing more that drives me mad than someone getting on a young horse and then being annoyed that it's bucking when it's had a day off the day before and you've not put it in the field or given it a chance to have a buck I just it drives me mad and it seems um, like your focus is very much on getting to know the horse first and then once you know the horse having a plan that actually really works for them and that might be totally different to another horse that's the same age on your yard but yeah. actually if that horse needs something different then the best thing you can do for that horse is give it something different so it has that ability to be able to be its best yeah and I think as well a huge thing a bit like I said earlier about the being comfortable I want to give myself the biggest opportunity to feel comfortable on the horse so I can get my best out of them um some people don't care if they go bronking around the arena three times before they have to get to work that's not me <laughs> um I mean I'm just... very similar to you it's not very in, in my mind it's not necessarily the most productive or beneficial for that horse to go bronking with someone under saddle just because you're able to sit it but I think I will fully say and put my hands up that I am not a brave rider either but I think when you're when you're growing up or even I think maybe when you kind of ride for fun you there's this impression that all the best riders in the world are brave and actually Absolutely you realize not. that they're not <laughs> and actually it's the ones that maybe aren't necessary well there's not a correlation between someone being brave and being a good rider and I think that's something really important and it's as well you know like I think you have to have a good understanding of everything you do with the horses you know I have been a home groom I've been a competition groom I've been a yard manager I've been an auction manager I've been a rider I've been a competitor I have then again gone and been a show groom. I've I've seen quite a lot of different aspects of the horse world, which I'm really grateful for, because you have a good understanding of what needs to happen in every sort of aspect of it. Um, is there is there a certain age or a certain level that you really like training or that you find oh, yeah. a bit harder? Because like for me, I know I'm I really like the journey up to like medium advanced medium and then I always really struggle with that push up to PSG and then once I'm at PSG I'm kind of fine again but that push from advanced medium to PSG is oh, that I love a six seven year old <laughs> love them because 
I love teaching a horse a proper half pass. I love teaching them the change. I You're love really good at teaching them flying changes. We've all got to be good at one thing. <laughs> <laughs> Ma, then I can get everything. I say everything. I can generally get everything so they can sort of do a PSG at home. But my downfall is counter pirouettes. So like tempi changes, all that kind of thing. One tempies. Oh my god, awful! Absolutely awful. Anything from fours to twos, I'm good. One tempies, no one talks to me while I'm trying to ride any. Because if someone talks to me, I forget to count. My legs don't move. They don't connect to my brain. It's just all a bit much. If my dad tries to help me while I'm running a line of ones, I'm like, oops. Six. Like, that is, I just, but a while back, I did also have that, if no one could teach me or say get this straighter or get that straighter in my two tempies and now I can you know Kira can be saying right inside leg get him a little bit off the shoulder here and I'm riding my twos fine so hopefully the day will come um very frustrating when you're at home trying to teach one one tempies and I said to Andrew it was on my chestnut Hilton and I said to him oh, I'm just so bad at ones like I get to seven and I just can't do anymore and I thought he'd come out with like real, you know, bit of insight. And he went, why? You just keep moving your legs. So that was, <laughs> that made me feel really dumb. Then he did come with more insight. He did come with more insight yeah. and said, he was like, just keep doing one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, four, until you feel really comfortable. Um, And, you know, that's also what my dad said to me, but, you know, daughter, father, you don't always listen to them. Um. <laughs> But I'm like, yeah, but that's great. But I get to seven and I can't do anymore. Um, but yeah, I would also say getting to PSG. So six and seven-year-olds are definitely my favourite uh, because I quite like turning a nothing into something. So it's not like you have these most amazing quality horses that people are like, that's a superstar. But then suddenly you can whack out a good advanced medium on them and they're yeah, it's everyone that transformation loves it. age, isn't it? Yeah, I love an underdog, absolutely love it. I when they're not too naughty, <laughs> no, but I absolutely love it. I love it when people think, Oh, what's that? and then you take it home and you give it a good clip and you feed it and you work it, and suddenly it's I, I love that. Um, but my thing with PSG has always been a canter pirouette. I Feel like I've only just learned how to ride them absolutely blew my brain the amount of people who've tried who tried to teach me and now I've actually had a horse that can do them properly I'm like I and now all the others are doing them properly um but yeah and then I did the step up to Grand Prix and I felt like a complete fish out of water very determined fish out of water but you think you know how to ride and then you do a grand prix and well i think that's really normal isn't it i think everyone everyone feels the same that like you make that step up to the next level and you sit in your comfort zone for ages and think i've got this and then you make the move up a level and then feel like you can't really ride and then you get comfortable there and then you go on and then it's that yeah everyone feels I mean, the same I, that you do i definitely always had the thing because i could teach the horses the tricks so to speak I'd get to PSG and I thought I've done a PSG now and everyone's like oh how'd you do that no idea then I'd have to carry on at that level and improve and I'm like oh yeah this is hard so I would still say I'm not solid in a lot of things because then that was my lack the gap with the basics now I spend so much more time on the basics and it is the same thing people say about transitions within the pace just full transitions you know working out how to put the horse's body where you want it to then go and do everything else. I think that is something I am now the last sort of year or so I'm actually starting to it's starting to click into place really. And I think so, it, yeah. I think as well you when you especially with us with the sales horses and things like that is that you get very good at riding one horse at PSG doesn't necessarily mean it's then easy to do another horse at PSG and it's then making not necessarily making sure but I guess learning as much as you can from each horse that you ride that 
like you said, you kind of get the best out of them. But is there in that process from training like a four year old all the way through to Grand Prix, is there something that you see as kind of being quite like a pivotal part? Like if you get it and it's good, then it makes that journey easier. And or if you haven't got it, it makes it a lot harder. So feel wise, being able to change gears. Um and that's not faster and slower because every horse can go faster and slower. Um, swing, then being able to, you know, you you get to this point and you'll sometimes feel it when they're four, sometimes you'll feel it when they're seven or six. Different horses take take time, but being able to sit and then you you ask, you know, try to wake them up a little bit with your leg and suddenly they you're like, oh, I've got their back you suddenly have that feel of the hind leg coming all the way through, you know, then it comes all the way through the body and you can have that little bit of swing and cadence. Being able to make those gear changes, especially for me within the trot, obviously within the canter as well, but I find within the trot, that is, and you know, the lift in the shoulder and you, it, for me, it's a feel. When you, you're working towards this feel and it's, sometimes it's a bit like the blind leading the blind until you've, you've learned it. And then you suddenly have this feel of like two steps of cadence and swing. And you're like, oh, yeah, we're going to get there. And do you think any horse can get that? Or do you think there are some horses that find it easier than others? Absolutely. Some horses find it easier than others. Uh, some horses naturally, all you've got to do is sit a little bit and make a tiny half out and they give it to you. I do think there is improvement within every single horse. You're not going to, it's not fair to, you know, make a Peugeot 107 into a, try and turn it into a Bentley, but there is improvement within every single horse and, and rider, you know, I, um, I remember when I first started training with Kira, I said to her, it was in, um, during COVID actually, I, I spoke to her and she said, oh, what are you riding at the moment? I said, well, I've got a couple, but I haven't really got a solid. I have one that's a little bit tricky, um, but I haven't really got a solid competition horse at the moment. I didn't really know if I could. I wanted to ask you for help, but I didn't know if that was your thing. And she said to me, you can learn something on every single horse. It doesn't matter if you've sold it in six weeks or it's there for six months. We can still make improvements on you and your horses. And I think... If I were to get on a horse that is, you know, a cob that's never learnt a leg yield or a cob that, you know, their cancer transitions are tricky or something. That's also a challenge. That's also something to, you know, you're not going to try and make them trot up here, but you try and put their body in the right place or get them to react in a certain way. I think it's not all about being on these most these incredible horses all the time don't get me wrong it's great but it comes back to that whole every horse has a job and every single horse can make some sort of improvement and I get as much excitement and joy out of you know oh that one's got a little bit more coverage on it it's put a bit more weight on now or oh it's got a little bit more of a spark in its eye than when it first came you know that's all part of it too it's not just the riding so that's why I actually find it really rewarding now I'm teaching more people's reactions and that they've really come away feeling like they've learned something to make an improvement on their horse. There's no horse or rider that no improvement or changes can be made. Absolutely none. Um, so, yeah, no, I think every horse can... It, every horse and rider should have different goals or different things they want to feel. And every single person's capable of it. I mean, even if it's riding a straight line because your horse always wants to pull this way or pull that way, you know, I'm still trying to do that. I'm still trying to ride a straight, straight center line or a straight diagonal. You know, it's, I just think it's silly for anyone to think they've properly reached their ceiling because someone who okay, there's more, there's some horses and, and people that have got more opportunities within the sport, maybe, and more growth, but everyone has got some growth somewhere. So, yeah.
and they're all working on the same things really aren't they whether you're riding your four hundred thousand pound horse or the horse that you bought for a hundred pounds at the market everyone's they've still all... on a straight center line in a good circle <laughs> they've all got to go on the bit first yeah. i mean the amount of times i've ridden a priest and george and been like i don't think my horse is on the bit <laughs> it's you know like everyone's got improvements to be made you know there's no no one's got 100 percent yet yeah everyone so, can be better yeah and yeah. you know also i do think i've been to competitions with my really nice young horse and not got as good a mark as the very very normal moving um 15 hand horse that was in there and i'm in there on a 17 too but but what they've shown on the day was better more accurate this and that. so you know, that is, you don't have to have these amazing horses to also go out and enjoy your horse and improve on on what you did last time. And I think that's that's the hard thing, isn't it? I mean, I know we're going to do a separate podcast kind of on comparing and kind of comparison. Yeah. But I think it's it's a hole that I see a lot of people get into when they say, my horse is really ordinary, it doesn't move as well. Um, and it's unfair that I'm competing against these bigger moving horses. But actually no matter whether your horse is huge moving or small moving actually the things that you need to be working on and focusing on are the basics the scales of training your accuracy your riding and that is the same no matter what horse you're on but I know I know Kira gives you loads of like little nuggets of like wisdom and I mean when I went and trained with, with Kira I thought oh right this is it I spent six months on a 20 meter circle with an X strap on, <laughs> you know, like that. She's so basics, basics, basics. And, and, you know, I spent six months on a 20 meter circle on my advanced horse. And that also massively opened my up because turns out whenever, when I lose it and I will say to her, or I'll say to Sarah or dad or Andrew, I'll be like, right, I feel like all my tools are falling out the toolbox and I need you to help me put them back in. I go back on that 20 meter circle <laughs> so it's you know it's not like all of us are just suddenly training Cassaris the whole time it's you know I remember there was a time towards the end of my young rider career and my one of my horses was we were heading up to Summerford and the week before I could not get off the lunge every time I took him off the lunge we spun we reared we bucked we bolted like mm. everything and I stayed on the lunch literally to the day before. Went but you, the and day. then you're going to go and deal with what you deal with when you're up there. Somehow made it through it. And actually it was fine. But I think that's almost quite important. That it doesn't matter if you're a prelim when you're at Priest at George or Grand Prix. There will be times where you are on There that will be times. And you can't get off it. But is there any, has there any been any like real, like really good pieces of advice that have like really stuck with you and like ingrained in your memory that people have given you I think there are certain things that certain people say to you that always stick with you but I think for me there are so many um but I would have to say it's more a mental thing of tomorrow's another day. Um, and I think that is much more what has stuck with me. I could give you a list of things that have stuck with me of, of what my dad has said or Kira or Sarah or Andrew or anyone like KB, you know, so many people. But I think something that I have had moments where I've absolutely struggled to, to live by um, but with the horses and when you're riding them, I actually think it's more constructive to be like, okay, tomorrow's another day. And I think that's the hardest thing, isn't it? Especially if you're having one of those sessions, which we all have, where it's kind of all going wrong and you're coming across these problems and nothing seems to be working. And sometimes I think it's almost better, it takes a lot of discipline, but it's almost better to just stop and go, there's another there's yeah. always another day there's always another show there's always it there's always another time but and not I'm not saying you know have a temper tantrum and say it's not working and this and that and have a strop and go out I'm saying right I'm not being this this is we're blocking against each other yeah. and I know you could use that a lot of like a lot of days you know I find it 
easier to apply certain things to my riding than I do to my day-to-day life as you know (laughs) um but sometimes I think it's good for the horses to come out for 15-20 minutes I don't think they have to go and be you know I say hammered but you know a lot of people don't hammer their horses but you know I don't I don't think it has to be that like regime every day sometimes it's also fun five minutes four times a week yeah and sometimes it's quite just fun quite fun to just go and have fun with your pony and be an idiot and have a laugh and have a joke and sometimes with the young horses get off their back let them have a good gallop round and and things like that you know I very often find myself uh, I'll pick something because it's you know I as a rider need to be much more consequent on myself and what I'm looking for and what I want to achieve in a session but that's more so as I've come up the levels but I would say quite often I'll be like right today I'm riding center lines and diagonals and I'm not allowed to veer off to the wall I'm not allowed to do this you know like sometimes when everything's going wrong just pick something simple pick something really really simple and you know we get tired and moody and this and that so do they so yeah there's so tomorrow's another on that note then has there ever been a time or I'm sure there's probably been a few because it's horses but in terms of like a training issue that you've really struggled to fix or that you've possibly initially like done the wrong thing or made the wrong decision or something like that loads absolutely loads but the taking the whole taking a step back and looking thing my current small tour horse hilton you know very well (laughs) you had him as a young horse i actually had him as a young horse which is very yeah friends and he was it didn't give you an easy time characterful I use he had a lot of personality <laughs> um and Jess had him as a young horse and then um he moved on as you had more competition horses and more you know the older horses um and then he ended up with me um I got him end of his sixth year seven and I, he was coming back into work. He'd had an injury. He'd actually uh, broken his leg in his stable at the yard he was at. Um, he'd got cast and, you know, they'd had a sort of, in the March, I think, of that year, they had to put pins in his hock. And it was all going to be fine, but bringing him back into work. And and I stupidly was over at my uncle's and I said, I'll give it a go. Well, I absolutely adore Hilton, but he's not given me an easy ride. He has taught me so, so much. But with him, I've had to pull every single trick and thing out to try and work it out. And some days I've gone too far. Some days I've not gone far enough. Some days I've just gone, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. But then at the end of it, you've got this awesome small tour horse who's hopefully going to be a Grand Prix horse. And I love him. I walk on the yard. And I've got his, you see his smiley little face with his two devil horns on the front of his face because he looks like a goat. Um, someone called him Rudolph today, and I thought that was really cute. I said, "Oh, I call him the devil." Yeah. <laughs> but he, I just look, I just love, I love him, <laughs> and he has been the most rewarding horse when you do crack it because he's just amazing. I, I love him. Well, he's the one I think you've probably learnt the most and kind of developed the most as a rider from. yeah made the most mistakes on 100 percent. I've made so many mistakes on him um and I've had so much help getting him where he is now and hopefully we'll have a lot more help getting him you know um you know I've had different people sit on him and that's been really really helpful um I'm always open to help but I have learned how to, you know, channel that into, okay, you're doing this. How do you, don't try and ride like someone else. You know, uh, someone rode him a little bit for me uh, just a couple of times last summer. And when I first got back on, it was only like once or twice, but I was like, oh yeah, feels good. Um, that little bit I was struggling to get, but then I found myself trying to ride him like them. Like, no, you're no, bring yourself back into it. And, but yeah, so 
I have struggled the most with getting the horses truly, truly through their body and supple. The ones that really don't give it to you. And I do think a lot of the time they give you their brain, they give you their body, they give you their body, they give you their brain. Um, And when they've got, you know, a bit of character about them, that's what's going to make them really good a lot of the time. But with him, you know, after his injury and things like that, it was very much getting into his brain was tricky and you know getting the straightness back but also getting the suppleness and you know that's still an everyday thing now um but his character at that point in time I did find so when I came when I brought him back into work it was very much go fast was your friend speed was your friend you just went forwards everywhere you went and sometimes you stopped and carried on again The hardest thing I found was when I actually had to ride him like a proper dressage horse and not a young horse. Um, That was the hardest thing for me because, and I still find now when sometimes I find when you've gone, when you've backed a horse, the best thing to happen is for a little bit, a rider change just for a couple of weeks or something, because it's the hardest thing, in my opinion, a lot of people won't have this, when you've ridden them in a certain way because they're a baby baby, to suddenly then go, no, you're a young dressage horse now, you're a novice. That's quite hard because you're always in your head thinking, oh, they're like this or they're like that. No, treat them fresh. And then you get them back and treat them as a fresh horse. Um, sort of a blank canvas. I think that was my absolute hardest bit with him was going from riding him as though he was a young horse just backed because that's what I had to do to then making the steps of okay no we'll put a little bit more pressure on the collection has to come in you know that kind of thing I think that was my biggest biggest struggle with him um because to at that point in time his character was quite tricky um so that was for me I think my brain switching to Oh yeah, but if I do this, he'll do this. No, no, no. Ride him as though he's a fresh, a new horse. If it happens, deal with it. Rather than me riding, so that's something I always did do with him, was riding in a little bit of a defensive way because I always thought, oh, he might do this, he might do that. He's probably going to do it anyway. So why don't you just ride? Keep him, yes, keep them in front of your leg and that sort of thing. Deal with a problem if it arises, and that's how actually the problem stopped arising is because. I rode him, you know, not as the horse that drive back that had had a year off. I rode him as, um, but yeah, again, I've had so much help from different people along the way and been very, very lucky. Um, And some people click more and more than others, but that would be my toughest thing is when, when you hit a phase where they get a bit naughty, riding through that is one thing, but then forgetting about that, you know, not, not being like, oh, this is the horse. Yeah, did it two months ago for a month. That's it. It's done. Carry on. Um, it's riding the horse you've got on the day, isn't it? Not the horse that you know yeah. they were. And especially when you've gone through that times and you know they can do that, especially when it's naughtiness. It's trying not to assume they're going to do it because then it will. But yeah. also being ready in case it does happen. Yeah. Which is a really hard balance to get, I think. I think a lot of that is trust in yourself. So I would say 80% of nerves with people come from a lack of confidence in their own ability. And I think, and like we've had this conversation before as well, the more confident you get in your own ability to handle situations and in riding, suddenly the less nervous you are. A lot of it is the fact of, oh, if this happens, I'm going to fall off. Yeah, none of us want to fall off. But what you're saying is I can't cope with this scenario, so X is going to happen. And I think the more and more confident you get with certain situations, even your surroundings, you know. If I go, if I'm on a four or five-year-old and I go to a show venue that I've never been to before, I'm not as comfortable as I when I go to the one I go to the whole time. You know, it's a little bit that. Um so I definitely think people who get nervous 
I'm not saying there's no nerves there. I mean, there's nerves for everyone. Even the best riders in the world get on a young one that's got its back up and they think, oopsie. Um, but the more confident you get in yourself, and this is not being cocky at all, um, because again, we've had that conversation of, oh, I don't want to be arrogant. No, but there's a big difference between having an, a belief in yourself and a certain, you know, if this happens, I can handle it. Or, you know, if it happens, it happens. Um, you definitely become a lot more confident in general. Or, and you don't actively realise it, but you're like, oh, I haven't really thought about that yet. Or I haven't thought about that again. Um, so that really. Is I, that, I think it's a, it's a confidence that you can deal with whatever's going to happen and I think once you're there or you've had those experiences where you have actually your horse has bucked or they have spun or something like that and you have actually dealt with it that gives you that little bit of confidence and then you're kind of it just starts to build yeah I'm, obviously you do quite a lot of coaching now what do you like is there a common mistake or a common issue that comes up quite a lot that you find you're working on with your clients so a lot of the time I will find that people are quite unstable with their hands. So I try and give them, you know, I'm very much try and have a little bit of a bend in your elbow, soft elbow, wide hand. And I stop them and I say, look, I really want you to think about leg, hand to bridle, like leg, hand to bit. And I just try and keep them a little bit more even both sides at first and just make sure that they can walk trot canter change the well walk and trot at first change the diagonal and really be riding from your leg to your hand in the sense of you know you'll change the diagonal and a horse might veer off one way and they try and fix it with their hand no just take your legs your hands nice and wide and and ride into that like that's something that I tend to try and uh touch upon straight away with the clients because I'm not saying you have to have a wide hand when you're riding your test and that kind of thing but being nice and even, two reins, two hands, feeling a bit, you know, which way is harder, which way is easier. Do they push a bit this way, push a bit that way? Um, but the thing that I find, I guess this is more so not even so in the training wise, but when people come and try horses and they're a bit intimidated and nervous, um, you don't always see how they truly ride at first but I always try and make people, people feel comfortable but the thing that they struggle with most is walking around at first and almost getting the horse on the bit at first just because they're so nervous and the canter transition because it's quite personal to a lot of people you think okay so that type of thing I've just gotten into explaining to people a bit more and and giving them tips to make things easier for them so I would find people quite often at first um will have a little bit more of an unstable hand and they'll try and run the horses like I said earlier like into canter it'll be a speed thing so I just try and explain to people you know try this try that and and just listen to people what their certain issues are and things they want to work on and things they might find easy hard or you know and just try and really listen to what people are feeling about their horses and and that kind of thing okay into the quick I have a lot of people now. who apologise. Yes, for their bad, their bad riding, and I'm just yeah. why are you, why are you saying sorry? Well, they're making mistakes. mistakes. Yeah, and they think, oh, I'm riding so badly. No, no, you're not. You're fine. You're just intimidated <laughs> because you don't know me, or you don't know the situation, or you don't know. Honestly, please don't. Any improvement, I want you to go away feeling like you've had a bit of a win, not, you know, feeling like you've you've came to suddenly showcase something. Because I've been there. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> right, we're into the quick fire round now. So I've got one, two, three, four, five, six questions. And you've got to answer them in one word, max one sentence. Okay. Oh, <laughs> can I redo this if it goes wrong? Yes. Okay. Oh, uh, training or competing? Oh, competing. Hot horse or lazy horse? Hot. I knew you'd say that. One thing that you used to believe you no longer believe is true. Oh. Um. That everyone's got it all worked out. No, they do not. Amen. If you could change one thing about dressage or the dressage industry, what would it be? I think it would be... At first, I would have said... Sorry, this is not a one-word answer. At first, I would have said people being more open and honest, but that's happening already in the industry. Um. I know what my dad would say. <laughs> um, I would say it would be nice at the higher levels to have a little bit more of a an open communication about about scores and things like that. That an understanding, you know, not that it's so taboo to ask a judge why you got X Y Z. Yeah, that would be really helpful. A more open communication rather than, you know, anything else. But I think. Yeah. So for the last question, then I'm thinking a bit diary of a CEO type idea where the guest before writes a question for the next guest. Now, you're our first guest. So I've written you my question, which is why do you ride in the first place? Because it gives something to you that I have never found somewhere else. Um, that relationship with the horse is it can be, and this is what I try and remember because I have had times where I've been really unsure about my career and what I'm doing or if I'm even gonna succeed or be good enough. But when you when something clicks and it could be two strides or it could be that feeling of teaching them something or just something you've been finding really hard. In my absolute hardest, darkest days, the horses were still there. And even if I had lost my motivation completely and I wasn't, you know, I've been in, you know, better than anyone, I've been in places where I've been not great. Um, the horses are always there. It's always a, a constant. And not a constant as in, you know, how they're going to be because it's very unstable. <laughs> you know, it's it, the, the job and the, their personality. You definitely don't do it for the money. Um, definitely don't do it for the money. Oh, my dear God, no. Um, maybe I should have been better at school. You were better at school. <laughs> so, you know. Um, but, yeah, I would just say it, they can give you an honesty that I don't think you can even give yourself. Mm -hmm. I would say. Oh, I'm sounding very deep. Yeah, aren't I? Like I love that. No, I totally agree with you. I love that. I think that's the best answer. You they could. show you your best and worst sides. That's yeah. And the people I've met through it, like some of my absolute closest friends who I've always had people that I'm like, I would walk through fire for, but I now feel like, I feel like I have people and that's something I've opened my eyes to that would do the same for me. And actually I've, a lot of them I've met through horses so I just think there's so much that obviously there's loads in the, about the industry that needs to be better every industry but I do think also the horse industry has given so much to me and that's something I'm really grateful for so remind me of that next time I'm moaning I'm poor <laughs> I'll just record this which I'm doing and then just send it to you yeah <laughs>
I think that's such a nice way to end though, because I think especially especially as professional riders, salespeople, trainers, whatever, I think it's really nice that actually for people to know that we do still do it because we love horses like it's not just about the winning and the competing and everything else it's actually still about that's it we don't do that 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 yeah but you know it is and I, I just think it's well it's all about doing everything to the best of your ability and that's something I have been reminded of when I've you know found something hard one foot in front of the other and I I'm going to give everyone a nice quote that Jess Gale gave to me when I was in my darker days. She would text me, even randomly if we hadn't been speaking, and she knew I was struggling, and she would just text me and say, oh, get a bit emotional. (laughs) And it's not an emotional quote, but it's just one small shitty step at a time. And... That is something that's also massively stuck by me. And also that thing of everyone's got so much going on in their own lives. And then someone takes the time because they know that will make a difference to your day. That will make a difference to how you view those small shitty steps. Because sometimes you do feel like you're walking through, wading through mud. And that's something that's also massively stuck to me. And I just think we you know we knew each other forever through horses but we're never as close as we've been in the last year Mm. and now I would say you're like one of the first people I would come to with uh, something that's going on you know we've been like you said before been very open and honest with each other and we're able to give each other you know we're able to step back and give each other a an out an outlook on it or an insight into something we're able to remove the emotion towards each other and be like no okay you this is a bit much or this is no you're you're heading on the right direction so yeah horses has also given me that and other things but you know (laughs) thank you so much for coming on it's been so lovely to have you and I'd love that this has been like this has just felt like our normal conversations that we have absolutely thank you so much for having me because you've made me feel so comfortable and it's been really easy to chat about things so yeah thank you What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.